another episode of New Black City, our show highlighting millennials around the country who are creating new ways to build economic, political, and social capital. My name is Sheena Collier, founder and CEO of the Collier Connection. I missed you all last time. Happy to be back on the show. Hi, this is Dominique Aubrey, the founder of the Black Women's Guide. Let's see you guys again. So I wanted to do some quick before we jump in. You know, we've mentioned before that both Dominique and I have um, businesses and things that we're creating. So I'm going to have her share about uh, Yoga Pants. Um, I'm going to share quickly about what's going on with the Collier Connection. Um, check out a picture on me and my work in the March 20, 2019 Boston Magazine, uh, which is online and in stores. Um, you'll, you can read more about how we're working to change the ways that black people engage with, contribute to an experience Boston. Um, and excited to continue to share more of that. Awesome. Yeah. So I, uh, apply the Black Women's Guide, which is focused on uh, supporting, um, black women and earning over six figures annually to support and sustain the black middle class. Uh, I have a company called All Yoga Pants, which is a little bit divergent from uh, the mission of, um, in some ways, uh, on the outside, different from the Black Women's Guide. But really, All Yoga Pants is really a uh, athleisure and athletic brand focused on curvy women, um, whether you're a size 2 or you're a size 12 or you're a size 22. Uh, as people of color, like, we have a curvy body shape, and we it's hard for us to find clothes um, that fit us uh, well. So our hope is to build uh, a conversation and dialogue around curvy shaped women to provide clothing that fit us that uh what we feel supported so comfortable confident um, and look great um, and be able to hire tons of uh black women and people of color to support that business as we grow and provide jobs uh, and create jobs uh as well so there's a little health and wellness spin on that side and the black woman's guide is more of an economic approach um and trying to i guess attack the issue at all angles so uh, that is what all yoga pants is about Great. Thank you. Yoga pants are important. I don't wear them as much as I want to because I'm in the office a lot of time. Um, but definitely on the weekends, I do not get dressed. Right. <laughs> um, I'm wearing yoga pants. So before we jump into tonight's topic and guests, um, just make sure um, you're following us on Facebook and IG at newblackcity.co. Um, our podcast is also on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, I'm in Breaker. And again, if you're watching on Facebook Live tonight, Make sure you share your comments and questions with us. Uh, so Dom's going to take us into the, the topic uh, for tonight. Um, very deep conversation. Excited to have this. Um, and hope you all um, do chime in with some questions. Yes, for sure. So, um, so you know, okay, so today we're talking really about an issue that I think has struck the nation. Um, definitely, I think, struck me as I was doing uh, some additional research. But we're talking really about the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. So, um, you know, this has actually been called in some news articles and things I've seen um, and just uh, named the worst man-made environmental disaster in, the, in U.S. history. So that's it's pretty incredible, given all the things we know that happens in the U.S. environmentally, that this has been identified as probably the biggest and uh, most disastrous kind of environmental uh, disaster in the United States history. So um, many of us have been following the crisis, you know, for years, really, and not really understanding, like, how this issue could persist and why it's still a problem, really. Um, so I wanted to start by just giving a really high-level background on what's happening in Flint, what happened in Flint, and kind of why, you know, where we are today. So just quick and dirty here. Um, in 2011, um, uh, the state of Michigan took over Flint's finances after an audit, um, and they saw like a huge deficit, $25 million deficit. And so they announced that they were going to build a new pipeline um, to reduce the water fund shortfall. Uh, and so when they were doing that, they were moving the uh, water from 
uh, Lake Huron to Flint, and they were going to basically do a new construction where they were using the Flint River to source you know water for the community. Um, but after they switched, basically they had a water problem. So that's like where it started. 2011, they just had a bunch of water problems from the water quality of the Flint River. Um, that kind of the water was tasting funny, smelling funny, so on and so forth. When you get to 2015, they tested the water, the EPA tested the water, Virginia Tech tested the water and found out that there was dangerous levels of lead in that water. So mind you, 2011 is when this issue started, 2015 is when they actually tested the water uh, itself. And then in the second half of 2015, they suspended the water testing and the water access, which is what started the whole water bottle uh, thing where everyone was bringing, bringing and distributing water bottles to Flint residents. And that's kind of when it really, really made a lot of news because there was no water coming in Flint. You couldn't, you couldn't drink the tap water uh, in Flint. I think the thing that was really sad about that moment is that a lot of the officials at that time had said they tested houses for high lead content, but they actually lied. They didn't actually test the water. Um, and so... Uh, that was just like a real a kind of a sad fact in the process of this. Like they were very aware that the water wasn't good. They didn't do their due diligence pretty much. And then basically all these homes were having high amounts of lead in their water and had to drink a bottle of water. And they've been doing that since 2015. Um, if you just fast forward. And so we know kind of some of the things that happens with lead, like you get heart issues, kidney issues, nerve issues, gastro issues. Uh, if you're a kid, you have impaired cognition, you have behavioral disorders, hearing problems, they can even delay puberty. So lead is a, has a really big impact on your health and wellness. It, it's a huge issue. So if we fast forward to just like 2017-18, um, basically at this point, several state officials have been charged with involuntary manslaughter in connection with uh, Legionnaire's disease from an mm. outbreak of in 2014-15 that caused 12 people to die from the water contamination. Um, there... Uh, was a well, there now is a $722 million class action suit that's uh, been filed against the EPA on behalf of uh, 1,700 uh, Flint residents. Um, the state is actually ending the water bottle distribution program because they believe the water is now safe. They've moved it to a safe uh, water source and they're building new pipes. Um, and the EPA has provided about $100 million in the water infrastructure upgrades. Um, and so the thing to know right now, and we'll kind of get into it in a minute, is just that the EPA basically said in August 2018, here's the last run of water because we're going to fix all the pipes, so this is all the water we're going to give you. Now, it's going to take until the end of 2019 to fix all the water pipes, and they're running out of actual bottled water, mm. which is why we see Jane Smith and other like people stepping in to address some of the water, this, this gap in water that the EPA is no longer going to fulfill. Um, so... This is an ongoing issue. It's freaking crazy. Um, but the issue of lead poisoning is also happening in other places. It's happening in Milwaukee. It's happening in Washington, D.C. It's happening in Durham, North Carolina, Jacksonville, Mississippi, Uniontown, uh, Alabama. Um, it's happening just all over the country. Um, and so, you know, as to kind of share all this insight and stuff about what's going why on, do you think, why do you think why, why Flint is getting the, knowing that it's happening in these places, was there something specific that um, kind of activated this in Flint? It seems like it's the... Uh, what's called the number of people impacted and mm -hmm. the whole city itself. Mm -hmm. what's, what usually happens is happening to the basically the poor people in that city so mm -hmm. the segment of the population that's feeling that pain and so no one really cares or notices. Right. Um, but because it was like all of Flint residents, no matter where you lived in Flint, had this water problem, it became, whenever it's a white issue, it becomes an everyone issue. Now, right. Basically, even though Flint's mostly black and poor, just, it was happening to white people too and that's when it became okay. a bigger issue. Um, so my... Um, just thoughts about this. I mean, one, I'm, um, it's hard to even wrap your head around. Um, this is, you know, we're talking about water. We're not talking about, 
I've, I've heard arguments um, around if education is a right, if healthcare is a right. Um, obviously, I think they are, but you know, there's arguments against that. Um, and you can debate that with folks, but this is water. This is like literally something that we need to use multiple times a day. We consume it. We use it. Um, I mean, you probably can't even count the, the amount of times that you actually use water throughout the week. And so to not just have it, um, to, to not have clean water supply, um, in the United States of America, um, is really, um, amazing to me, um, and really disgusting and, and it's sick. Uh, one of the things that I, wonder, I mean, I I know that race plays a part in this always um, in a lot of these issues, um, but I also wonder about, um, you know, the lack of political will or lack of political, um, I should say, capital that some of these communities have. Like, I, I just can't imagine. I just can't understand. Like how? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this, right. is this just like we're just trying to, we were just trying to save money? You know, is it just being neglectful? Just not caring about people's lives. Like it, it just, again, I'm not naive and I know that many things happening um, in this country, but it really does boggle my mind that in this day and age, there are people, human beings that would turn a blind eye um, to save a couple of dollars. Well, in 2015, they asked for $55 million from the U.S. government under Obama. Yeah. Obama gave $5 million of it and then basically said, we directed them to FEMA to get the rest. And then FEMA never sent any money or support mm. or services. Um, but what, I remember being in Philadelphia schools and also traveling in, in different school districts, and they would, you couldn't drink the tap water inside the school building. In Jacksonville, Mississippi, where um, a company I used to work for did a lot of work, they go to school sites, like, there's an elementary school, and they had no water. I mean, you're just like, what? Yeah, I mean, it's actually happened in Boston at times, too. There were times where I've gone in schools and there are signs on um, the water fountain because they don't want young people right. to have the water. Right. Um, so it's, again, it's something that, oh, I turn it off. Yeah. I think it's something that um, we know happens and, um, you know, not out of night, not out of being naive, but really just a real question of like, how is this allowed to happen? Like who, how many people have to look away for something like this to persist? I think one of the things that makes me like very not surprised about this, but where I think it's like, what are we doing? We have a fundamental infrastructure problem in the United States. Like you look at Boston, it's an old city, so it's only a matter of time before water you can't drink in poor neighborhoods and water you can't drink in rich neighborhoods right. is the same problem. Right. So are we just wait? Is it like are we have are we dealing with other issues first, and so we're just like waiting for it to break to fix it? But if mm. we, if you know, like I just like I'm, I'm not sure like when it becomes a problem. I'm like every city in America basically is going to have this problem, hmm. right? Where the lead in the pipes, if you don't replace them, they have to excavate. It's, it's super expensive to excavate everything, pull them out, you know, switch out the lead. And if you actually have, Flint had a double dose issue because they had bad water and lead pipes, um, which made it worse. Hmm. But if you just have, you know, I'm, I'm one thinking like, how do we afford the infrastructure shift? If you're in any city across America, it's it's going to come to bear at some point, just like bridges and roads, like the same right. the same thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's looked at the same way. Um, I mean, what is a series? I mean, you know, different game, but yeah, <laughs> similar issue. Oh, shall we? Yeah, yeah, she's on. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and introduce our guest for today. Sure. Yeah, so I can happen. So um, we're really appreciative today to talk to Tricia Adams of Black Millennials for Flint. She's really going to share with us about what's happening on the ground in Flint, Michigan, and the work she's doing around environmental justice across the country. So, um, 
Welcome, Latricia, and thank you for joining us on a New Black City. I just put all Okay, the- awesome. Way cool. So my name is Chris White. Again, um, I'm the COO and Vice President of Black Millennials for Flint. Um, yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yes, and thank you for being awesome. Thank you for communication back and forth. So I really appreciate it tonight. So we're going to kick off here. Given all the work that you've done, when it comes to your work around environmental justice specifically, what keeps you up at night? Man, um, being a mom of a seven-year-old, um, that keeps me up at night because our country is probably in one of the worst states that we've ever seen it um, to date, especially in our generation. We talk about millennials, we talk about Gen Xers, and we haven't seen our country in such a state of disarray. So what keeps me up at night is knowing that the country that we thought we were going to pass down to our children is, is not the America that we, that we conceptualized. It is something completely different, and I think that we're carrying on our backs um, the, the I, I guess, the fight of our ancestors because really um, we, we're trying to overcome some of the same struggles still in, yeah. in, in 2019. So, yeah, that keeps me up at night. <laughs> just, to, just to follow up on that, Crespo, what do you say to your seven-year-old? Like, how do you explain this crisis or other things that are going on? It's really interesting. I don't know if I really always do a good job of explaining. So I really try to get him involved um, in the work that I do um, and see firsthand how um, it's important to um, talk to people, build community, galvanize people, um, stay stay involved. I take him to you know some of the like speeches I give, or I'll take him to a community event, a community service event, or canvassing, um, and he can see firsthand. But I think it's hard. It's yeah. hard to explain to, to a seven-year-old black boy, right? Like, hey, there are some, A, we're, we're advocating for environmental justice issues, and specifically blood eradication. So, um, no, I don't think I have explained that specific issue to him as of yet. Mm-hmm. But I think what I do explain is that our, our environment and our earth, we have to take care of. And he's learning about that in school right now, so it kind of crosses. So, um, you know, I tell him that, there are places, um, areas that he doesn't live in because, you know, I tell him he's privileged, right? But it, there are children that don't have his experience. And so I think showing him is really the best teacher. Awesome. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I love that showing, having him involved is awesome. Um, and I think for folks who actually don't know much about the group, would you mind sharing a little bit more about, you know, what Black Millennials uh, for Flint um, is and, and what is the, what the group does. Yeah, of course. So Black Millennials for Flint is um, a officially a 501c3. Um, that's great uh, news for us because oh, we were started under. Thank you. <laughs> we were started under the um, guise of the Greater Washington Urban League, and um, we were an initiative. And so Black Millennials for Flint um, really started in the wake of the Flint water crisis. We um, we're sitting on the board. Latricia Adams was sitting on the board along with myself, and this was really her her like the birth of this movement really came through her. And then Michelle Madsen was a member um, of Greater Washington Urban League Young Professionals, and she was also a scientist at the EPA at the time. And so that was really that's a really important thing to note because we really were able to get to work immediately with data and insight and inside knowledge. And so what we do now, Black Millennials for Flint, is a 
Um, primarily, it's a grassroots organization. It is primarily comprised of Black and Latino members, and we advocate for letter eradication in Black and Latino communities now nationwide. That's awesome. I mean, that's how this. When did this group actually start? Cause it's been a couple of years. So you guys just became a nonprofit like this this past 2019. 2015 is when we officially organized, and um, we have been going strong ever since. Awesome, awesome. Um, why did you feel like you personally had to respond to this issue um, when, you, when you were in the Urban League? Kind of what, what happened that um, inspired you to organize? Yeah, so um, I really personally, I have my ear to a lot of things, right? And mm -hmm. so personally, it just felt like an assault, an attack. Mm -hmm on our people because Governor Snyder um, knew that uh, these, these like the decisions that were made in Flint, they were well researched and known before the decisions were made. So it, it felt like a personal attack because first Flint is 60% black and Latino, right? That, that, that community is 60% black and Latino. And, and they knew that. And then also um, switching the water from Lake Huron to the Flint river. Um, it was, they were advised by the EPA and by scientists that, um, this was going to cause issues. This, this could potentially poison people. This could have, you know, lead leaching in the pipes. We knew. Wow. This was not, um, it was not, you know, unforeseen, so to speak. And so for this decision to still be made um, with the information that was available to them, um, it really, for me at that time, we were already dealing with issues like police brutality was on the rise. And so this was just one more way that our communities are under attack. And it's not like the lead issue is germane or specific to Flint, but it was intentional in Flint. So I had asked this question a little bit before you got on. You might have been listening in. And um, again, just to preface it, it's not my asking in a naive way. It's truly like a I want to believe in humanity um, type of question mm -hmm. of so how how does a city have that information and know what the impact could be and still make these decisions? Like, what is the driver? Is, is this really an economic driver, do you think? Um, I'm not really sure why the decisions were made. I mean, I can give you my opinions, right? I guess that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, can't, I can't really, you know, make any assumptions about why or how this decision happened. But, I mean, straight up, this, this is environmental injustice, and mm -hmm. it happens every day. And it's environmental racism. So we're going to call it what it is. Yeah. Um, we're not going to mince our words, right? This is. I, it was very well known that the community is um, comprised of primarily um, Latino and Black citizens, and so I think that it was just a decision that was made because not enough, not enough people cared, mm -hmm. um, and. I think that it was uh, above, like, I think the narrative may have been like, well, this is above my pay grade, this is above my pay grade, until it got to someone whose pay grade, it, 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 you know, fell into to make the decision, and then it happened. Mm. And it's like, but why? But how? Did we think about the impact? Did, did we care about poisoning people? Did we care about poisoning children? No. Right. Because now we're dealing with the aftermath, and it's 2019, and Flint still does not have clean water yet. Right. Things are being remediated. However, it's a very slow process, and it is something that is taking entirely too long um, to rectify. Because in the interim, people are still being poisoned. What does that cost? Like, 
uh, what is it? all it takes for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing or something like that. Um, the kind of what you're sharing, what you're sharing is kind of that thing. It's like there were there were many chances to, to change the narrative and or to stop the situation, and it wasn't right. Um, and everyone looked around and said, well, why is it happening? But it's like, well, because you're letting it right? in some capacity and, and all these government officials and politicians and everything like that being involved. Um, when, when you first started this in 2015, how were, because I actually heard a podcast that you've done a while ago with a, um, it was an Af- it was like two African guys doing a podcast in DC um, and you're and they're talking about logistics of bringing water to the city. And so how did you first start getting resources to people in, in Flint? Yeah, so we first contacted the Buffalo um, Urban League chapter, um, and we drove a truck um, up to Flint, and we, we used some of our other partner organizations um, and partnered with them, raised funds, raised resources. Um, this was a completely a grassroots organization. Um, and like I said, it was started under the Greater Washington Urban League, so there were resources available to us there as well. But we really just raised money um, on a GoFundMe, right, online, wow. and that's how this really all started. And being able to have the backing of the Urban League was very beneficial to us because we were able to move a lot quicker um, and really make the impact, um, like, most immediately. How is – how I mean, I think, um, you know, it's obvious people in Flint appreciate the support, but how is – how has been the response? Like how receptive have not so much the residents that you're impacting, but the other groups or maybe um, powers that be influence? Yeah. So um, other groups have, you mean as in terms of other groups working with us or other community or, or, or other community organizations? So if the other community organizations that might be based in Flint and, and also um, the people that, didn't make the decisions around this just how have they responded to you right. all being so active just citizens yeah of course um so we have a great relationship with um a lot of flint organizations um so there's a major project that we actually just completed and um, i want to talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. so it, it involves one of our um, partner organizations on the ground so um, first trinity missionary baptist church is um the only church that was able to continue to provide, let me backtrack, They're, they've been providing water to the community since day one, mm. since this Flint water crisis happened. But after Governor Snyder decided that Flint no longer needs bottled water um, and decided to stop those donations, this church was the only church that was able, keyword able, to continue giving out clean water to the public free of charge. Mm. And so that has been a large burden on them. And so uh, recently we teamed up with, I think you've seen in the news, um, you know, Jaden Smith brings uh, clean water to Flint. Well, that was a project that uh, we had a large hand in, and we're very grateful to have uh, lent our, I guess, coalition building skills to Just Water and to um, First Trinity to bridge that gap and uh, make sure that this water box that was just launched um, had a great home. And First Trinity was the perfect candidate because they were encumbered by, you know, giving these water donations um, since 2014. That's crazy. Like, what, you talked about this, uh, you know, support from the Smiths and, um, what has been the response in terms of kind of um, 
having such a public figure being involved? Is it been positive? Has there been resistance? Has it shifted some kind of conversation in Flint or with the policymakers? You know, uh, I think it may be too early to tell. Um, to be honest, I think it's, everything is very positive so far. Um, I think that, you know, Jaden Smith is an incredible young man to be able to um, use his celebrity in such a powerful way to make such um, a, a wonderful impact. And then Jada um, herself, the, the day of the launch, which was March 2nd, um, committed to adding another box or another water box um, it, to the community in Flint. So I think so far it's been very well received. And I think that's in part to what we've been able to do in, for in the past nine months. We were strategizing with Just Water and First Trinity and other organizations that were a part of this last kilometer who designed the actual um, water box, um, the engineers. We were strategizing for nine months, and we really talked about these issues. How is this going to be received in the community? Because people don't have what they need, and they are very distrustful of outside groups coming in. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a celebrity or not. Too too many things have happened there. And there's so many um, organizations that, you know, have come in with ulterior motives instead of the goal to really just make sure that Flint residents have water, right? Um, They're trying to test a new technology and this and that. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want this to be perceived as that. Um, just is a company that has been provided with it. It's a water company. So they have been, you know, you've seen just, you know, the brand it's reputable. Um, but for them to do a water box, um, it was, you know, a very concerted and, um, honorable community effort. And they really made sure that they, um, approached us for, um, our community, uh, relations, uh, skill building, um, tips and, and making sure that we, this was going to be message right. First Trinity um, is a trusted source in the community already, uh, very trusted because they've been pro- pro- like providing water from day one. So I think naturally it just, it all kind of made sense. It was the right fit. Um, citizens in, of Flint trust First Trinity because they know they can get clean water there. And First Trinity was encumbered by having to provide this water for so long. So it really just, it was a godsend. Is there, um, people feel relieved? I mean, from my understanding, they're, they're fixing the pipes, but it won't be done until, like, the end of 2019. So this is kind of a stop gap or inter- intermediate solution to that. Do you, uh, yes. do people feel, are they feeling better? Or are they still feeling anxious knowing that once the pipes are fixed, everything's supposed to be fine and we don't know if that's going to be true or what's the, what's the, oh no, there is, so much dissent going on in the city. Um, what they are telling people in different areas, of course, downtown, the pipes have been replaced and fixed, but that doesn't mean water fixtures have. Uh, people still can't, you know, take showers with, with the water that is being provided there. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the government has a lot of work to do around transparency. Um, I think that that is an area that they struggle in. Um, I think that too many mixed messages have come out um, from the government, even, you know, Mayor Karen Weaver has been very vocal about saying that things aren't fixed here in Flint. You know, people are still struggling. People still need water donations. So, um, that is something that we have really focused on in launching this water box. The water box streams 10 gallons of water per minute. Um, so people can take home a five gallon jug. Um, at a time of water and then, you know, come back and refill. Now, what I am going to say about that in this project is that 
um, however revolutionary it may be, it is. It's incredible that, you know, people can really take 10 gallons of water home at a time. Donations for the five-gallon jugs are needed. First mm-hmm. Trinity has a website. It's firsttrinitywater.com, and donations for those water jugs are desperately needed so that they can continue to give out that volume of water to the residents. Good to know. We can add that to the yeah, definitely. share it out. Yeah. Um, Yes, please send water gallon water jugs to this plant and that you know, this um this is a very visible issue. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are like this is just I'll speak for me, this is what put Flint on my radar. Um, but I'm sure there's so many other issues that are that this compounds with um or interact with that are that were already happening in the city. Do you know of um you know, what this is on top of, like what was already going on in the city around disparity or or issues that people might have been advocating for that this is only added to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the city is, um, it's definitely blighted. Um, You know, I don't want to use too many words to describe what people are going through because it's it's a very sensitive subject right now. Mm -hmm. But from my experience in going there, um, it's it's definitely a blighted city and they were already struggling, um, I guess, with you know, some levels of poverty there. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily just say poverty, but, you know, it, it was, um, a town that definitely could, could use resources. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that, like I mentioned before, being primarily, um, black and Latino community, um, we know that there's a narrative in our country that, you know, we are struggling to build wealth, um, as, as black people in this country. So it's not lost on us that this community double suffered, right. you know, now because they don't even have clean water and this is America in 2019. Like, this is crazy. This shouldn't be happening. And um, the fact that, you know, celebrities um, like Jaden are coming in to want to make that impact and do the work to source the proper organizations who are really have been there on the ground since day one is very, very notable and very honorable. Mm-hmm. You had, um, I think I'd read an article where you mentioned around like kind of when the first, when everything kind of first came out and kind of who showed up to support uh, uh, the people of Flint, how some of, surprisingly, some kind of more historical black organizations just kind of really didn't show up. And maybe they showed up later as this issue progressed, but really weren't there in the beginning. Um, do you have any thoughts as to like what the breakdown was, whether in terms of internally for our community, where, um, why they might have not shown up, why it maybe didn't make sense for them to plug in or, you know, what was happening that made them kind of uh, maybe shy away from the issue got more pronounced. Do you have any thoughts on kind of how that came to be that they were just not as plugged into that issue when it first erupted? I do. Uh, Very frankly, I don't think anybody wanted to accept accountability for such a large issue, which is terrible because, you know, you sign up for public service, that's your job, right? Um, It's not my job or it's, it's not my intent to specifically bash any one person um, except for Governor Snyder because, you know, Congress publicly lambasted him. But I do believe that no one wanted to accept accountability for something that was so, um, so great and so public. And then I also think um, on, on the flip, on the flip side and just, you know, playing devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. um, not that I really want to do that in this situation. And, but I do believe that people didn't really know um, the impact that this decision had up front. Uh, how could you? 
unless you were in the community actually already caring about the citizens and understanding what was needed there. Um, but it was also very known, like I said, that um, the implications of a decision like this were, were not secret. They had information from the EPA that it was going to poison people, and yet those decisions were still made. It was a chance that it could poison people. And what ended up happening was the, the water from the Flint River um, corroded the pipes, and then it made the lead leach into the pipes. And, of course, water fixtures are susceptible. Um, anything that water comes comes through. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that accountability was something that was lacking all the way around. So Dom had mentioned a couple of other cities where this is an issue. Um, now that you yeah. all have organized and and you've done such great work and are continuing to have um, other cities reached out or have you all gotten involved in similar issues in other places? We have, yeah. So Baltimore, um, please tune in April 14th. Um, the episode of Finding Justice actually airs, and we were in Baltimore mm. um, doing a canvassing to showcase um, the lead problem in Baltimore. I recently just testified um, before the Maryland State House actually on two bills um, that one was to lower the safe standard for um, elevated flood levels, and the other was obviously water levels. Um, no amount of lead, obviously, is safe. No amount of lead is safe. But it is a step in the right direction that um, Maryland and specifically Baltimore are um, working hard and working quickly to pass this legislation. I just got word today that legislation did pass in the state house in Maryland. So now it's going to the Senate. Um, so Baltimore is an area we have um, been really, um, we've, we've been really heavy there as far as presence and just like, you know, plowing through. So again, April 14th, Finding Justice, you'll be able to see more of the work that we do. Um, and also Greater Washington Thursday Network, um, Urban League will be highlighted as well um, as far as the work that they do and how they partner with us. Um, let's see, another city is obviously Memphis. So Latricia is born and raised. Uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. And so um, she, uh, we recently just established, this was her personal project, actually. She recently just established a lead prevention commission, which is huge, huge. So um, uh, lots of great things are going to be coming through that. Um, and then we have also, um, notably, gosh, how could I forget? D.C. <laughs> so um, D.C. has a large lead problem, too. Um, they D.C. has just it's just a very old city as far as pipes go. And so um, I think DC really wanted to do something about this and make sure kids were safer, you know, more quickly. And this, this, the mayor was definitely on board with um, making sure this happened. So the council actually un unanimously passed with our recommendations. 89% of them were met. Um, the Childhood Lead Exposure Prevention Amendment Act of 2017. And what that does is it um, makes the, it, it it tells agencies, you know, the responsibility that they have in terms of remediating um, the water sources if they're found to have um, elevated levels of lead. Um, it makes sure that there is signage um, next to these water fixtures if they've been turned off to let kids and parents know, hey, this is not safe to drink. Um, it's shut off. And then it also sends, like, the notification home to students and parents to let them know that this is an issue that um, is being remediated. This, this feels like we should just be doing this across the country. <laughs> like, I, it feels yes. like yes, ma'am, <laughs> should just be an evaluation. I mean, um, you know, we're based in Boston. Boston's a very old city. I know nothing about 
Um, even though I did mention, I've seen it happen in the schools here where um, kids have not been able to drink out of the water fountain. And um, for something so essential to our lives and, um, yeah, just a, a, a right that we all have, it feels like there should be some federal, something happening at the federal level just around, instead of waiting city by city for people to realize what's happening, to just say, like, this is something uh, we need to do across the board to make sure that water is safe um, in all of our cities and states. And I, since you're working in the environmental justice space, I know there's a, a couple other areas. What is, um, as you, when you guys are doing legislation or working across different groups, what are the like one or two or three kind of major environmental justice issues that uh, folks are trying to address? I know I, I, that uh, with the Green New Deal or the New Green Deal, or um, that there's uh, that folks are trying to make sure that there are things in there, provisions in there that really support environmental justice measures across the country. Um, what are some of the kind of topics that people are? Bring up, and I'm sure is is led one of them, and uh, or, or just you know yes. clean water, you know. I think lead is one of them now um, because <laughs> honestly, I think lead gained a lot of traction after the Flint water crisis. But lead is one of them now. Um, I think because of the the advocacy work that we've done um, surrounding this issue in Flint, and then how we kind of branched out and done this in D.C. It was nice that we were in D.C. and it was very visible. So um, Latricia actually met with um, Ocasio's office um, a couple weeks ago, and we actually are going to be, um, you know, having talks around the Green New Deal. And um, that's really important because there are a lot of issues like you're asking that uh, should be focused on. So uh, one, climate change. Um, as we can see, I think the entire country is having some pretty bipolar weather um, in all states. And that's something that we really have to look at as far as how we how we are consumers in this in this country and how we are consumers nationwide um, to change the way that um, we consume energy. Um, and then also getting away from fossil fuel, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is a huge topic that um, for the 2020 presidential debate, um, um, there are debates that we've seen thus far, every candidate is talking about it. Um, so I think that it's important that we must divest away from fossil fuel and um, look for cleaner um, and more uh, sustainable energy sources to to power our, our nation. Got it. That's, well, thanks for sharing. I think that's stuff that, you know, folks don't know, right? We're all, we're all learning as it's happening. It's all happening in real time, trying to keep track mm-hmm. of, kind of all these kind of policy decisions that are being made and some are seen and some are unseen. So that's actually very helpful. Um, when, when it comes to kind of next steps and thinking about the group and it's kind of, how is it evolving in its uh, formation in terms of, is it going to be only specific, uh, focus on the specific issue? I mean, the issue is still happening, so I'm assuming probably will be, but are there other issues that this community and this group is engaging in or in Flint? Is it, are there other issues that we're engaging in in Flint? Mm-hmm. Um, no. So we primarily focus on lead eradication mm-hmm. um, in water, um, and not just in water, but lead eradication nationwide in, in the air, um, in water, um, in water fixtures and water sources. There's different ways that um, lead can be ingested. Lead can be ingested through the soil, and that is our primary focus. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that we are not focusing on other things. But in order to be most effective, we have to stay in our lane, so to speak. Um, And there's a lot (laughs) to tackle 
um, around lead. Um, one of the most notable facts uh, is that 40, I think 41% of schools uh, don't have any type of guidelines or legislation surrounding the testing for lead. Um, so that's alarming and scary. <laughs> right. and so um, knowing that, we are you know, forging full speed ahead and looking toward um, getting policy recommendations nationwide for um, any legislature that's willing to work with us. Awesome. Um, Chris, are there any, as we're just wrapping up, any thank you for the, um, you definitely educated me, and I think environmental justice is something that black people have always been a part of. I worked with an organization here in Boston that really sprung out of that in the 80s, but I still, even with that said, I still think it's something we don't talk about enough and don't really realize yeah. um, the impact of this. So, um, in terms of environmental justice for black people, what do you think we need to do to build a new black city? Um, I think that we need to stay involved. We need to stay involved and we need to get organized, right? So um, find organizations like us in your nearest town. Come to us, right? Um, come to you guys. I think that the most important thing that we can do is coalition build. That's one of our tenants um, with our organization, but there is power in numbers. Um, one of the things that we do well is we, we galvanize people. Um, we build social capital, and social capital is really important because there is power in numbers. Everybody can act um, together. Different organizations have different agendas, um, but we all have you know some common goals that we can um, organize around. And when it comes to environmental justice, I think as a black people, right, um, we we have to care. We we never not cared. We uh, come from Mother Earth, right? And so um, I think just going back to our ancestors and our roots and our spirituality, I think those things are um, fun they're they're a large part of our foundation. Um, and so I think organizationally, um, most um, organizations of color in some way, shape, or form focus on um, environmental justice in some way. And so I think just staying staying connected uh, to the organizations that are doing something and finding ways to be involved, that is the most important thing that I can say. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, and as individuals, paying attention and speaking up when stuff is going on, because that's where a lot of this, um, this movement comes out of people um, not accepting anything in their neighborhoods. So um, share with us where people can continue to stay up to date. You mentioned a couple of upcoming things. Do you want to repeat those? Yeah. And just how do we know what's going on with Black Millennials at Flint? Definitely. I will certainly do that. Thank you guys so much for having me. Actually, can I clarify something before you say that? Because we called you Latricia at the beginning. So can you actually just reintroduce yourself? Because um, I think that yeah. we were initially talking to her, but we want to just make sure that people know who you are. No worries. So again, I'm Chris White. I am the COO and the Vice President of Black Millennials for Flint. Thank you. Awesome. So we'll follow up and just get the information so You're share it out with our community. Um, but thank you okay. so much for your time today. This was like informative, enlightening, insightful. Um, she was going to share how people can continue oh, to follow. Then feel free. Sorry, but I cut you off early. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, yeah. Please that follow now. us. <laughs> please um, follow us on Facebook um, at Black Millennials for Flint, Instagram. Um, if we're doing any events, um, Instagram is the quickest way that we get out information. So it's also at Black Millennials for Flint, Twitter. Um, Black Millennials for Flint shortened, 
And um, we also, if you go to our website, blackmillennialsupport.org, you can join our mailing list and, you know, you'll automatically stay up to date if you do that. So that would be really beneficial. We have our annual Flint trip coming up um, in April, and we're going to be going back to Flint and doing a water donation drive. Awesome. Thank awesome. you, Chris. Thank we you so much. You. you guys so much. Thank you for educating us, and, and we'll make sure to um, also post the link for people to donate water. Um, awesome. That was wonderful. That was insightful. I mean, it was actually, it was, it's so, it's so much deeper than you think. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and you kind of hear it, and you're like, holy crap, mm-hmm. like it's still going on. And like, even when they get the pipes put in, you don't know until you know for sure and that's like a terrifying yeah i couldn't imagine like it's it's still beyond my um it's beyond my understanding of how one to be a resident in that city and in these other cities that we talked about and um not having that right um and uh, and you know she talked about the mistrust that folks have like yeah i wouldn't trust anyone either right. um because you're essentially at this point, I feel like you're, you've tried to poison me in right. my community. And so, you know, it's that it's going to take a lot of physical rebuilding, but a lot of healing um, that I'm sure will have effects generations to come. And even if you fix the water pipes issue, you was saying you have to fix all the faucets. So yeah. who's paying for that? Like, do right. I have to go fix all the faucets in my house now right. once the water, like, and, and like, even if you're fixing the pipes, like what about the, pi- like, not just the faucet in my house, but the pipe in my actual house, not right. the ground pipe. Yeah. So you're like, who's paying for that? Yeah. Um, I think we'll see this. I think the next 10 years, this will be playing out, sadly. Like, I really think it's going to take um, a lot of different, like you're saying, there's individual things that need to happen in people's houses, every building that people um, occupy in the city. So we'll, we'll see this um, for years to come. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, kudos to Black Millennials for Flint, Jaden Smith, others that are um, Trinity Church, I think was the name of it, that are um, moving it along. Because honestly, this and like other issues that are unfortunately often plague our community, um, generations go by. And like she said at the beginning, we're dealing with the same stuff. So hopefully they are able to um, not have this carry on for um, generations to come. It makes me really think like you think about cities like Philadelphia and, and, and Baltimore and stuff and you're like, okay, there's transportation issues, mm-hmm. there's job issues, there's housing issues. Um, and then there's like this fundamental right of like, and there's water issues. Right. And it's to your point, like it's not something people really talk about. But when I think about all the schools I visited that just had no water mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, I guess you can always buy water, I, I guess. Right. right. But it's like, it just makes me think about like, well, what am I spending my time? <laughs> like I always think about like honeybees and I was like, what am I spending my time on? If I'm not spending my time on these like fundamental things that are like mm-hmm. what make us stay alive mm-hmm. in the world. And um, it just kind of brought it back to back home. Cause it's something that could actually very easily happen in a lot of cities. It's mm-hmm. not, although yeah. it was somewhat intentional in Flint, it, it, it's actually could very well happen anywhere that there's old pipes and old cities. And so yeah, it just makes you think about that's a really that's really scary. It must mm-hmm. have been like a, a traumatic experience, you know, in Flint. Outside of whatever else has happened in Flint over the last Michigan in the last fifty years, like in general. Um, so yeah, so that was a. Uh, I feel like I just like adulted real quick. I just, well, like, it was like a very deep conversation. I mean, I think people definitely. Hopefully, you all learned a lot, and um, you know, we will share information on how people can get connected and and give donations um, in many different ways, monetary, water, um, bottles to this cause. Um, 
It's kind of like a downer. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a downer. But, yeah. but the one thing I... The one thing I really appreciate about this show that we're doing as I'm, as we're experiencing it, doing it as the co-host is that, um, I'm learning about so many ways to get involved and also like what it really means to be an activated or active citizen, Mm. because I think we talk about a lot of issues and, you know, people talk about a lot of problems, but, you know, it makes me think like, yeah, you know, I went to like randomly like the student climate rally because it was by my building downtown, Mm. um, and I was just like, yeah, like, you know, when's the last time I've done anything kind of mm. similar to that recently? Mm. Gone to any march or even if marching is effective or ineffective or whatever people think about those things. But like just have showed up to like a zoning meeting or showed up to a school district meeting or just like showed up. And I think the world has done such a good job of making everyone so busy and tired and focused on sustainability that they don't have the capacity to kind of give to these other things that we should. And yet black people, we just always are showing up for ourselves in, in so many more ways and imaginable, but it just makes me think about like, well, how do I, where, how, and where do I show up more? Mm. You can't do everything fair, but like, where could I show up? And I don't know. I, I think that's like based on everyone's individual skill, capacity, interest, like there are things that you know better than other people where you, if you showed up, you'd have a, more uh the impact would be increased um like i might be okay at environmental justice you know rally but i might be really great at education one because i Mm. i know that industry so deeply and maybe that's something we should be thinking about is trying to build our a new black city is like are we showing up based on our context so we have leverage and we can actually move things in conversations and you know do we need to show up more so i've been learning a lot from these, these folks about like how they're showing up for things and it's been really it's been really awesome and that's maybe that's the uplifting part of all this is the reflection. Yeah, I mean, and that's our job. There's a um, Toni Morrison quote that I can't quote exactly, but essentially the sentiment is when we get these high paying jobs, when we get into these um, spaces that we haven't traditionally been welcome, it's our job to open the door for others and not forget about another reason why we're doing that. And I take that very seriously. I do show up a lot of places um, and make sure to be in conversations and communities where, because of the honestly privilege that I have of education and access and knowledge, that I'm able to offer something to those spaces. Um, and I do think if more of us were doing that more often, a lot of these things would would change a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're gonna close out um, and let you know what's happening next show. Um, we're gonna be having Arif Garcel. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be Gersel. People always try to make things sound fancy, but it looks like Gersel um, of the Union Seattle. Um, it's an organization that's named after Black student unions on HBCU campuses. And he's creating, um, I don't think it's open yet, um, a work and event space slated to, yeah, to launch um, this year to become a hub for educational programs, digital, digital media production with an emphasis on cultural relevance. So we'll get to hear about um, how he's creating community in Seattle um, and what that looks like. Um, and one of my favorite things to talk about, uh, physical spaces. And he's, his work is interesting because it was particular to, because I think he also came out of the tech space a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so he's really trying to bridge, Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. to bridge that gap between what's happening in Seattle with the tech boom and plugging in Black creatives into that ecosystem, um, which is so very intentionally. So from a, I'm interested to talk to them from a, a kind of a high tech perspective and kind mm-hmm. of what kind of programming and resources are they doing with the community around them. So that's that's going to be exciting. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of New Black City. I'm again, Sheena Collier. And I'm Dominique Aubrey. Um, look out for the podcast link in the next week. Um, you'll, you'll see it on Instagram and Facebook at newblackcity.co. Um, and until next time, let's keep on building a new black city. Okay.